Right. You can put me on record with this. We're on. I think the midweek podcast is one of the best things we do. Whoa, you heard it here first, people. Well, thanks, yep. man. Make fun of me if you want, but it's true. I won't. I think it's amazing. Tom Walsh said that he likes to, during sermon discussion, talk about the midweek, and he feels like the indie kid who's like, yeah, I listen to like the B-side <laughs> of the sermon. I have a guy in my life group who does the same thing. Yeah. He's like, well, you know, in the midweek, they said, and it was like, my man, you listen to the midweek. Respect, the bro. deep cut. That's great. <laughs> Welcome to the Midtown Midweek, where we take the sermon on Sunday and talk about it more. I'm here with Pastor Michael Bailey once again. How we doing, Michael? Hey, everybody. Man, I am so glad to be back. We should just get a chair for you, just designated Please. Michael's chair. Please. I, nothing would bring me greater joy. Yeah. I love I just told you, I love the Midweek Podcast. I love it. It's one of my favorite things that we do. Well, hey, before we get into it, just a quick promo. We really want to hear from y'all as far as like what questions you have about the text, about the sermon that you just heard. So if you email us at teaching at midtowncolumbia.com, we will get that. And what we want to do is we want to take all these questions you have from the series and for the very final midweek of this series, we want to do a Q&A format. So that's a good idea. If we don't get any questions, it'll just be what we always do which according to Michael is that's really, wonderful. really good. Yes. Wonderful. Or we could do Q and a, and that would be cool oh, too. Man. But that's, that's up to you, the listener. So it's a great idea. send us those questions. Everybody send your questions in. That'll be fun. All right. So Michael, you just got done preaching and really setting up for us the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. And before we could even unpack the Sermon on the Mount, we need to get some of our terminology. So you spent a good while talking about what the kingdom of God is all about, talking right. about what repentance is about. Yep. But curious as far as what didn't make the final cut of the sermon. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes when I'm on the show, I kind of feel like I say a lot of the same things where it's less about what didn't make the cut and more. I just could have talked about this for another 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, that, oh, yeah. that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this one, well, let me, let me start by saying this. I am really excited about this series in particular. And part of me wanted to talk about that excitement a little bit during the sermon, but with time constraints, obviously just going out on a hobby horse is not what you can always do. But uh, I really am excited for, for this series because I am looking forward for our church to be in the, one of the biographies of Jesus, to see Jesus and hear the things that Jesus himself said and be shaped by those things. Like I, I'm just excited to have that opportunity. And I think the Sermon on the Mount is one of, if not the best place to begin with that, because it really is like Jesus's manifesto for lack of a better way of talking about it, or his ethic, you know, of life in his kingdom, life as followers of, of him. It's just, it's a wonderful place for us to get this like little snapshot into the vision that he has for our lives and the vision he has for human flourishing and what, what that looks like in this world as we await the final kingdom, you know, to come when Jesus comes again, that, that whole deal. So I, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm looking forward to this because I hope in some respects, like it rounds out some of our discipleship. And mm -hmm. that might not be a great way to talk about it, but that's just kind of how I think about it. But when I say that, I mean that I hope it helps us grow in our familiarity with who Jesus is and what he taught. Because uh, I think I think that would be a really good thing for us. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll even take it a step further. These are some of the things that if I were to talk about this in the sermon, this is what I would have said. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
part, part of the reason I think that I feel this way uh, is because in my experience, or it's been my experience, that a lot of folks are like me, where early in my life as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian, uh, I knew a lot about what Jesus had done. Uh, so namely his death and resurrection. Like I knew about that and I knew what that meant for me as an individual. Uh, and I was really familiar with like the teachings of Paul and, you know, his epistles and his letters and that kind of deal. Because in some respects, I felt like I could understand Paul because mm-hmm. I thought felt like he wrote in a way that was more like, it was just more uh, akin to what I'm used to as a Western. Yeah, linear that's right. Thought, Western you know? didactic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I, so I could just, I got Paul. I understood him a little bit, a little bit more. Uh, but when it came to Jesus and his teachings, like that was a little bit more unfamiliar and mm-hmm. confusing. Like I knew a lot of, about the good news of Jesus, but I, as far as being familiar with him and what he said and how that ought to intersect with my life, like there was a glaring like hole in, in my like discipleship uh, that uh, just needed to be filled. And a lot of it concerned like this stuff about the kingdom, like we talked about in, in the sermon. Uh, but recently, especially over the past few years for me, like I've been growing in like a really deep conviction that this idea of being a disciple or discipleship or a follower of Jesus really is one of the most important identities that we could carry as, or that we do carry as Christians. Uh, in fact, like before we were ever called Christians, long before we were ever called Christians, we were called followers of the way, you know, followers of the way of Jesus. And so in some respects, I'm hoping that this series will in some small way, help us recover some sense of that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love that idea of before we were called Christians, we were called followers of the way. So there's this active, ongoing obedience, continual repentance like you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's really easy in America. Hey, I'm a Christian. That's my label. And just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Yeah. Whereas for the early church, the label, it was marked by this continual lifestyle of following Jesus. Yeah. And you know, I grew up evangelicalism in America's like heyday, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like when I was being brought up, like there was still this thing of like, you know, being a Christian kind of got you ahead in society for lack of a better way of thinking about it. Uh, and also, but it also just kind of was a cultural thing that you did. Like you got your fire insurance, <laughs> yeah, which is a terrible way to talk about yeah. it, but you got your fire insurance. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of went on and carried about your life. And it's just like, that is a far cry from what Jesus is actually calling us to as believers. Like that is not what it means to be a Christian at all. Being a Christian is an all of life thing. It is a daily faith mm-hmm. that displays itself and our following, like our faith and our following go hand in hand. Like you can't have one without the other. They are two sides of the same coin, you know? Uh, and so I'm, I'm really thinking this series could help us recover uh, some pieces of that. Um, Cause I need it. And I, I think other folks would probably need it too. Yeah, absolutely. One thing you even said about how we as evangelical Christians, we tend to gravitate towards the epistles with that yeah. didactic, logical, A equals B, mm-hmm. therefore C sort of thinking you end up creating really great theological grid works and systems that are extremely helpful towards understanding the Bible, but recovering back from, let's go back to the words of Jesus. And there are some things that Jesus says, particularly even in the Sermon on the Mount, where it's like, I have a hard time wrestling this and syncing this up with my own grid work of the Bible, you know? Yeah. And I'll, I'll probably talk about this a little bit more later on, but it's like, 
you know, I mean, what Paul is doing is Paul is giving us doctrine. Like that's, that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's doing it in epistle form and he's spelling out all the implications of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and what his death and resurrection mean and all of that. Like he is building for us the, I mean, the systematic theology for lack of a better way of saying it, which I've said that phrase a lot in this episode already, but I struggle with my words. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, that that's what Paul is doing. Uh, and it's valuable and worthwhile. It's just uh, sometimes, it, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes too, I think, uh, sometimes what can happen, at least happens for me, is I can tend to begin to read Jesus through the lens of Paul instead of Paul through the lens of Jesus. That's you know? right. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's important to actually kind of get that order right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so thinking of other things that I could have included in the sermon, believe it or not, I could have talked about this concept of kingdom even more than I did. Mm-hmm. And I talked about it a lot in mm-hmm. the sermon. Uh, most of this is because it is something of a soapbox for me, and I'm pretty passionate about it. But kind of feeding off of what we were just talking about, in my experience, <clears throat> strictly in my experience, it seems for me that a lot of Christians, particularly those from traditions like mine that are predominantly white and evangelical in that corner, uh, don't talk about the kingdom a whole lot when we talk about the message of Jesus uh, or when we talk about the gospel, like it's, it's kind of absent some of this kingdom language, which is really strange because it's what Jesus said, you know? So it's like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta do some work here to get, to get behind that. And I'm sure there are a variety of reasons for that, but I, th- I think it's something that tends to be lacking from our message. And at times, you know, from our theology to, to an extent, and at the very minimum, I think it makes Jesus very confusing for people, mm-hmm. you know, very, very confusing. Um, so when we tend to talk about, you know, the good news, we kind of sort sort of whittle it down into individual salvi- salvific terms, you know, mm-hmm. which I mean, hear me. Yes. That is the good news of Jesus. That one hundred percent. That is the good news of, uh, of what Christ has done for us to save us as individuals. Uh, but I heard I heard a pastor recently, um, Matt Chandler, I think was his name. Uh, actually, it was Matt Chandler who said uh, that it's also a bit incomplete because. Sure. It's bigger than that. Jesus is doing more than just saving individual souls. Like uh, the language I used in the sermon was the fact uh, that Jesus has come to make right everything that sin has made wrong. Uh, And that includes, but is not limited to us as individuals. And so the reason, the reason that I think all of that matters is because if we don't have this lens, this is what I was saying just a moment ago, we can think that Paul and Jesus actually preach different things. Mm -hmm. Like if we, if we don't understand what's actually going on, we can think that, and some people do even think that Jesus and Paul aren't talking about the same thing, which is not true. Mm-hmm. They are 100% talking about the same thing, but we could find ourselves in a really confusing spot trying to figure out how Jesus's message and Paul work together because they feel so different. So we really need to wrestle this idea of the kingdom down. Uh, I stumbled across what Tim Keller actually said. Uh, actually, you might've put me onto this, uh, Tim Keller quote, where, oh, uh, he's talking about second, the kingdom. You made it sound like as though I was the one who said this. No, no, no you didn't say it, but you oh, put me onto the, the Keller quote no. where like, it's just this thing that Keller acknowledges. He's like, Hey, Jesus was always talking about the kingdom. In fact, you never see Jesus saying to somebody, receive me as your personal Lord and savior. You never see that in all of the Bible. You only see him saying, repent and enter the kingdom. And he says, I believe in that Keller sermon as well. Now you do see him say to Nicodemus in John three, yes. you got to be born again, you got to be born again so that you can enter into the kingdom. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so the, re- the reason I even talk about that or would say would want to emphasize e- even a little bit more. is like, um, so I, I had a friend 
who was recently reading through the gospel of Mark uh, and Mark's account of the event that I preached on in Matthew has Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And my buddy read that and he asked me, so is Jesus like telling a half truth here? Is he trying to encourage them to do something that they actually can't do because he hasn't died for them yet? And and that's a really good question. Uh Right. Like that's a really, really good question because it exposes some things about how we tend to think about the good news of Jesus and how Jesus presents it, you know, Uh, and obviously those two things aren't at odds, but it exposes, I think, our narrow lens of the good news that Jesus carried. Like we tend to think about it only in terms of like the doctrine of substitutionary atonement again, which it is, Mm -hmm. which it is. Uh, that is essential to the good news, but uh, we tend to not think about it in terms or only in those terms and not in terms of the kingdom. And the Bible just goes a bit larger than that. And I feel like it's really helpful for us to have that paradigm <clears throat> to be able to see the broader spectrum of, man, God is doing more here. He's doing a lot of stuff here and he's accomplishing it all through the cross and all through the resurrection. Um, but it's much bigger and broader than sometimes our narr- narrow narratives campaign it. Yeah. It's always important to go back to the source, go back to the words of Jesus. A lot of times, like the denominations and frameworks and systems that perhaps we've been brought up by came Mm -hmm. out of a specific context that in its time was extremely helpful. So you think about uh, the revivals and the altar calls and trust Jesus as your personal savior. That was happening in a context where people were not Christians. Yeah. So yes, that is incredibly helpful. And we still need to constantly be going back to the source because when you hold to a specific cultural way of viewing the Bible or doing church for the longest time without necessarily going back to the source, Mm -hmm. you kind of miss out on some really big things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw a uh, lecture recently on this whole idea. Uh, Actually, I wanted to plug it because I think it would be very helpful. Uh, It it influenced a lot lot of the sermon. I I pulled some stuff from it to to help with the sermon. It was a lecture given by the theologian Jonathan Pennington, Mm -hmm. uh, who also wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that Mm -hmm. we are reading for this series that we love. It's a wonderful commentary. Uh, But it's a lecture that he gave at the Village Church in Texas uh, on the kingdom of God, where he kind of walks his audience through what it is, how to understand it, you know, all of that. It is remarkably insightful and helpful for just understanding what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about the kingdom of God and how the Bible and, I mean, excuse me, how the kingdom of God and Jesus's substitutionary atonement are one and the same, how they work together. Mm-hmm. They're two sides of the same co- coin and you, you, you got to have them both. And it's just, it's marvelously well done and you should 100% check it out. Uh, but one of the things that he says in that lecture about like where some of this, or this context that some of our frameworks come out of, he was like, regrettably, a lot of it comes from uh, the early divide within the church uh, from uh, your liberal or your mainstream uh, churches who kind of abandoned uh, the authority of the Bible abandoned uh, any talk of of sin or a- anything like that. And they kind of only talked about kingdom and they took on this real like social, social gospel it's all aspect. About yeah, ethical yeah. understanding, exactly. living it out. Exactly. And then uh, in response to that, you know, the conservative wing, you know, went hard the other way. And so what happened was on the conservative wing, which is the wing that I come from, uh, kind of abandoned 
all talk about the kingdom because it smelled too much like liberalism, you know, yeah. for, for lack of a better way yeah. of saying it. There's that phrase again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like he he actually says, you know, I mean, that's really regrettable because in some of that, like we've we've lost some things like just like just like those who swung on the liberal end lost things. We have actually lost some things that are are pretty important to how we understand our faith and how we uh, operate as as the church, which I thought was really insightful and helpful. Yeah, so to even unpack that a bit, I, I feel like what you're saying, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, on the conservative evangelical side, we swung the pendulum so far to where the Sermon on the Mount is not so much how to live an ethical life. The reality is you can't ever yeah. live this out at all. And so you need to cling to the grace of God yeah. through faith. Yeah, that's absolutely a bent that and, I took. And while that is true, it is, it is one true. half of the coin. Yeah, it is right. because of grace through faith, we are then empowered by the spirit to live this out. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, he, he goes into all of that. Uh, I, I highly, highly commend uh, his work, work to you. The way he even talks about the gospel in it, which I found to be helpful, is he talks about it in terms of uh, four, four distinctive characteristics of the gospel. He calls, he says that the gospel is cruciform and creational, personal and panoramic. And I just, I loved these things. And so here's what he meant. He said, the gospel is cruciform, meaning shaped by the cross. Without the cross, no gospel. Mm -hmm. Can't have it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, It's creational. So it's from, from creation to new creation. It's personal. So there's an individual aspect of it. There's individual salvation found in it and it's panoramic. It also involves the renewal of all things. And he kind of like, put this out there as his like, you know, holistic picture way of talking about all that Jesus is doing through the gospel and what the good news actually is. And I was like, you know what, that is, those are really helpful categories for me to kind of process what Jesus is actually accomplishing and how his kingdom work works in and through the cross and, and resurrection. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Other things that didn't make a cut, Bailey? Um, you know, I could have talked more about the formational aspect of what the Sermon on the Mount is doing, but I just didn't really want to get into all that because that's going to be some of where we're going in Mm -hmm. in the coming weeks, but really trying to get our minds wrapped around the idea that Christian discipleship is not only about like coming to believe in certain doctrines. It's not just about believing certain things are true. You know, it's not, it's not even just about believing, you know, uh, that Jesus is King and he's bringing the kingdom, you know, like it's not, it's not just all, all that it is, but it's also I think Pennington says it this way, uh, the inhabitation of a sensibility or a way of living and thinking and feeling in the world, a pattern, a way of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so just, just this notion that to be formed in Christ for kingdom work is actually to acquire a temperament that guides us beyond, you know, what we see and think. And it becomes just a part of who we are, the way we live. And I, you know, I, I just think that that merits discussion and conversation, you know, to help us continue to press into that of like, we are living a whole new life now in Christ, fueled by grace, fueled by his forgiveness and redemption. Like we are now to be different, uh, and recover that, that sense of, of shalom. Um, it even takes on, I don't know if we will get into it during this series, but even if you look all the way to the end of the book of Matthew and it's Jesus's last words with the great commission mm-hmm. and how seeing that when we are followers of Jesus, when we are practicing the way, when we are totally transformed holistically, every part of us, the response then 
becomes now we are moved and transformed in such a way to carry out mm-hmm. the gospel message. Yeah. And I say that because I think oftentimes we can view discipleship as, all right, do this, read some Bible, go to church on Sundays, yep. maybe get in a small group. And, you know, if you're feeling really bold, share your faith. Yeah. And we kind of take this buffet style Christianity where just a bit here and a bit here and it's all good and, you know, yeah. whatever fits your temperament. But it's this holistic thing that when you are transformed, we then become the means to transform the world and bring yeah. the kingdom here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Next question for you. How did studying this passage impact you personally? So for me, as I was preparing and even even thinking about it more now too, it really highlights for me the things that Jesus is actually going to teach in the Sermon on the Mount when he starts teaching about prayer. Uh, And he says, you know, when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come like pray and ask God to bring the kingdom. And so just, just thinking about this vision of the kingdom that the scriptures paint for us of Shalom life in the garden where everything that sin has made wrong, uh, Jesus is making right. Um, my soul, like I have just felt in my soul, like I want that. Like I just, I want that. I want oppression to be gone. I want sin to be gone. I want sin in me to be gone. I want sin in my family to be gone. I want sin in the world to be gone. Uh, I want people to stop being uh, or being driven by insecurity and fear and low self-worth, not seeing themselves, how God sees them, all, all of that kind of stuff. It's like, I want, I want our world to be this way Mm. Uh, and just recognizing that Jesus bids us to come and pray to that end, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to pray that in increasing measure, his kingdom would come. Uh, And so for me that, I think that has been uh, in some respects really transformative as I was prepping for the sermon of just recognizing that, Hey, this, this is the worldview of the Bible. This is my worldview as a Christian. Uh, and actually scratches on the deepest longings of my heart and the things that I actually want to see. Uh, and so just more of an inspiration to continue to pray to that end, to continue to beg Jesus to do it. Uh, he promised he's going to, so it's like, hey, come quickly, come quickly, please. You know. Yeah. Uh, and even thinking about like in my life group, the things that I'm praying for my life group, the things that I'm praying for my family. It's like by, by praying for them, over their sin, over their struggle, over their hurt, over their pain, <clears throat> I'm actually praying for the kingdom to crash into their life. That yeah. is what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and so just encouraging me all the more uh, to make that, I mean, to, to do that and to be a person who is about that. Um, that was a big, I think a big piece. Yeah, that's really good. Even, I, I believe we get into this in week three, but the church is supposed to be the place where God's presence, his kingdom is supposed to be visibly present. Mm -hmm. And so even thinking about hearing from you about the importance of the kingdom, this is God's plan A, where he is taking the world and he is accomplishing that through the church. Mm -hmm. So even as we think about our church and our life groups, where is the kingdom not present that we need to full speed ahead, speak gospel truth, ask for God's kingdom to, to, manifest itself. Yeah, man. That that moves me and inspires me for, yeah. for ministry. Oh, yeah. Well, to end our time, a few things for us. First of all, 
I highly encourage you all to check out our Matthew series page. If you go there, we have a bunch of resources for you, including a Bible reading plan that works you through passages we talked about on Sunday, as well as various other passages that connect with the themes we hear on Sunday. Our series practice for Matthew is journaling. So taking the time to really meditate on the words of Jesus and be with God and write down your prayers, write how you are interacting with the text. We also have a handful of commentaries that are on the series page. So you could be looking at some of the stuff that the pastors are working through as we wrestle with the text. And last thing to encourage you all, check out our midweek virtual prayer. We do that Wednesdays at 8 a.m. We do that for 30 minutes. You can sign up on the website as well as we do our weekly sermon filming on Thursdays at noon at our downtown auditorium. So uh, anything else? That was a good crowd here today. It was lit. It was a good crowd. More people should show up. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I really did. It's way better preaching to people than a camera. Yeah, I get a, I get a little more feedback, <laughs> just a little bit, not a lot of it. It's hard because they bit. still have masks on. Yeah, you can't so tell. You know, it's like I, I even we're just looking at head nods <laughs> yeah. at this point. I, I joked around with them before we started recording, and I was like, I assume that I know you all, but I may not because I really can't see your face. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Well, thanks, Michael. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, anytime, man.